What's up, Danny? What's up, Tyler? Not much. It's episode 113, Fried Squirms. We're here to talk about some flowers. Yes, we are. But before we get to that, how was your week, sir? It was pretty good, dude. For the most part, just laid back, caught a few films, and by that, it just means some films that I own. And I watched Game of Thrones last night, celebrated right. 420 over the weekend. That was fun. I've been just majorly stoned all weekend. It's been great. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you told me <laughs> you went and seen a, right now. <laughs> told me you went and seen a film last night. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's like my only big thing from this week. It was a pretty normal week. Other than last night, I went and caught Neil Marshall's Hellboy. Nice. And it's all right. I, of course, am amongst the many, many people that are sad that we're not getting Guillermo's third, as we should have. But whatever. Like, we got another Hellboy. It was cool. There's lots of cool spectacle. This one's rated R, whereas the other ones were PG-13, and they mostly use that for, like, blood and gore, which is kind of cool. But it's spectacle on such a level that they're having to use mostly CG blood, Mm -hmm. which... I'm not entirely against CG blood, and there's cases in this movie where I don't know how you would do it practically. Like, that would just be fucking stupid to even try, it seems like. But, I mean, whatever. I mean, it was still a lot of CG blood, though, which... Eh. Yeah, I know you But there's know. also, like, there's a lot of cool shit. Like, the Baba Yaga shit was actually really fucking cool, and I enjoyed it. I'm really glad I went and saw it in the theaters for as much as I'm ho-humming around. Like, I did really enjoy going and seeing it, but... I definitely see where all the bad reviews are coming from. It's clunky. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. And I'd have to think harder to come up with anything more precise than that. But oh, That's understandable. still fresh. I'm super looking forward to when they do the everything wrong with. Oh, right the fucking on. cinema yeah, sins of it. Because I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Because it is definitely not the greatest movie. It's bordering on not even being a good movie. But it is a good movie. Oh, like. Cool. I understand why it's not doing that well. I wish it was doing a little bit better because I do kind of like to see where they would take it. And at this point, it kind of looks like we're not going to see where it goes. Yeah, considering... And they do set it up for a sequel, especially with the Stinger. But whatever. If we don't get it, then maybe we'll just get an even better reboot of Hellboy like seven years from now. So oh, You never know. I mean, it's one of those movies and franchises that, I mean, there's a number of things you could do with it. So we'll see what happens, what the future holds. Like, I love GDT and Ron's Hellboy, but, I mean, other than the fact that Ron Perlman is almost perfect casting, I think they have still yet to, like, completely nail it. I haven't read a lot of Hellboy, but I've read some Hellboy, and nothing that I've seen on the screen yet quite hits me in the same way that it does on the page. And I think there's still a version that's going to get closer to that that everyone's going to like a little bit more eventually eventually we'll see nice (laughs) well cool yeah outside of our personal little ditties throughout the week i did run across a couple of bits of horror news that are really interesting so i'll start off and we've talked about the new child's play a couple times it is rated r and the producer says that it's filled with intensity and gore so he's filled in a little bit of details he said he wants to focus a little bit more of charles lee ray his little backstory they want to focus a little bit more on the dynamic between the mother and the son. You know, we'll see what happens. I know we've talked about the fact that Mark Hamill is voicing Chucky, which is a big draw. Aubrey Plaza is in the film. That's kind of a big draw. So I didn't realize that the screenplay was written by Tyler Burton Smith. He was the one who wrote Kung Fury, which was actually a really good movie. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I'm still intrigued. I'm not like 100% sold on it, but I'm still intrigued enough to check it out. 
Whether it's in the theater or not, that's another question. But regardless, I still like to check it out. So for those who do want to check it out, it is hitting theaters on June 21st of this year. And the next bit of news that I ran across is Glenn Danzig. He is directing a vampire spaghetti western. Sounds kind of interesting. Wait, what? I know, right? From what it says here, it says Danzig has just put the finishing touches on the script for his next film, which will be a vampire spaghetti western, and Danzig will, of course, direct. It says uh, casting is going to begin shortly. It looks like he's covering some Elvis songs this fall, so if you like Elvis and Danzig, you're going to have that, and of course, an upcoming spaghetti western with vampires. So They said it's going to be a little bit like Quentin Tarantino's From Dust Till Dawn, so, you know, if you're fans of that, we'll see what Danzig can do. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot, that's for God to do, I'm sure, but yeah, that I'm just not, sounds insane. I'm not holding my breath on that one. <laughs> Alright, so I know you're a fan of this film, and that is The Raid. And Joe Carnahan said he's still making his own version, and he's just shared a little bit of details. So we've talked about the fact that Frank Grillo was in the Purge films. Looks like they're wanting to cast him as the lead, which I think would be a perfect acquisition if that happens. I mean, that would be cool, but I know you haven't watched it yet, but we watched a clip from The Raid. After I talked about it so much, like, I brought up one of the hallway fights for you the other day. Yeah. Like... I know that we both really like Frank Grillo, but do you think he can actually pull anything resembling that shit I mean, off? All right, let's put it that way. When you have American you action it, stars versus Asian action stars, completely different ballgame. If you're going to do an American version of the raid, you're going to have to change the action completely up, or else it's just going to fall flat. Unless totally you're doing agree. like, unless you're doing it like John Wick rather than the straight up martial arts that we got in the original raid. I don't think it's going to work. I agree with you there. And I can't think of any big American slash English star. I mean, obviously they're looking at Frank Grillo, but I can't think of anybody like him that can pull off the same kind of action that you saw in the original two raid movies. Yeah, good point. Good point. And a lot of the action heroes that are still around are way past their primes, so that's okay. But yeah, regardless, it looks like it'll be interesting. See what happens. And the younger guys aren't really that kind of action guy. No, they're not. They're action guys, but they're not martial artists. No, exactly. That like so that time period in the eighties, maybe early nineties is kind of bypassed us, unfortunately, but that's okay. We'll see what Grillo can do. Alright, now this is a film that I grew up with, Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren and Frank Lagella. Well, Sony's new live action Masters of the Universe has been slated for an upcoming release this December. So they wanted to release it next year, 2020, but they decided to push it up. It looks pretty interesting. I'm kind of curious about it too, man. Like I said, I grew up watching the original. It wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't great by any stretch, but we'll see what happens. All right, now this is a film we've talked about a little bit because we are fans of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but their creature comedy, Slaughterhouse Rules, is finally getting a U.S. date. So it looks like here in the States... It's going to get a select release on May 17th, and then it's going to hit DVD on June 18th, and it is brought to us from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. So looked pretty interesting. I've heard some mixed reviews on it as well. People who tend to enjoy their films like it a lot. People who aren't really into that kind of subgenre of horror, they don't really particularly care for it, but regardless, I'd like to check it out. looks pretty entertaining. All right, now, another thing that we have subscribed to, we're big fans of, is Shudder has acquired and will finally release Isa Lopez's festival hit, Tigers Are Not Afraid. So I read a little bit about it when it was in that festival circuit. Mm -hmm. It got a lot of praise. I'm kind of excited about it, man. You were sent a trailer for a film, an Estonian horror film, 
I watched it and I was like, damn, it looks fucking good. That looks, November? You know yeah, what's you know what's cool about that? Fucking it's killer. on Shudder. Is it? Yes. Like right now? Yeah. As in we're gonna cover it next week. Shudder is kicking ass right now, dude. As in we need something to fill in next oh week, gosh. so we might yeah. just have to do that. I'm quite alright if that's the case, dude. But yeah, that's just another bit of movies they're bringing to the forefront, which is really cool. And the last little bit of news I have, once again, we're fans of this gentleman. We've covered one of his films, one of his critically acclaimed films, I suppose, is there is an upcoming biopic slash documentary about Lucio Fulci, and it is called Fulci for Fake. And the person who is directing it is Simone Scafidi. What it is detailed, this is details from Rue Morgue, which I'm a fan of too, Rue Morgue magazine that is. It says the movie centers on an actor, and this is played by Nicola Nucella, who has cast as Fulci in a film about the director's life and sets out to research the role by meeting with people who have known and studied him. So some of the interview subjects include the composer Fabio Frizzi, Michel Romanoli, Sandro Bettetti, Enrico Vanzina, Sergio Salvetti, Michel Soivi, Paolo Malco, Berenice Sparano, and David Pellucci. This is what Schiavitti said. This is his tease. He said, it's a film made of Fulci's blood with the presence for the first time of both the director's daughters, Antonella. She was the firstborn. She was endowed with a culture and a humanity worthy of her father, who generously made available the family's video material. And Camilla, who became her father's assistant on the set of his latest productions, who provided her first and only long video interview and unfortunately passed away after the shoot. Says Antonella and Camilla are the only people perhaps to know in depth the mystery of their own father. So, pretty excited. I like documentaries, I like making ofs. Like I said, big fan of Italian horror, big fan of Fulci. Looking forward to that. So, yeah, that kind of rounds up some of the news I found that was worthy, you know, interesting. Looks like we got some really cool films. I know we talked about that coming up. Some good documentaries, some good shit on Shudder. Dude, I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just super fun time to be uh, into horror movies. Yeah, no kidding. You know, what still baffles me is how much it does not get main press. You know, like at awards well, I mean, and places like that. I mean, it's starting to since... Slow but surely. Us, it, yeah. hereditary. And that's the interesting thing is it, it shows that horror films don't just have to be gore and schlock. It's like they can be thought-provoking. They, they have been. It's not just a new thing. It's been like that for a long time. It's mm-hmm. just finally getting some notoriety, some recognition. So excited about that too. That's right. Shit, yeah, like I said, all I had was I went and saw Hellboy, so... That's cool. Oh, I guess I have one other thing. If it's to be believed, it seems like there was a leak of some sort that showed the DLC characters that they're going to be releasing for Mortal Kombat 11, oh. and Ash is one of them. Nice, hell uh, I think the Terminator is too, but Ash was way more exciting, so... Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the T, but... yeah. That's still technically speculative, but I think people have almost all but confirmed that there was like nine characters that they put out that are probably going to be DLC based still. on a hack or on a leak or something. Uh, it happens, but no, that's still pretty exciting. Like I said, I grew up playing Mortal Kombat. I know you did too. So yeah, that's fuck cool. yeah, I'm super excited. Ash makes it super fun. No I shit. mean, 10 had all sorts of fucking Leatherface and yeah, all sorts of assholes. So well, I'm excited to see what our man Ashley Williams might do. I know, right? That's awesome. So yeah, dude, I'm excited about today's episode. We get to talk about Phil Stevens's flowers. I'm excited too. We're just going to get to it and then I'll, I'll give my little caveat. I'm excited. Let's get to the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Yeah. 
Time for the guts and bolts. Yeah, buddy. So I have a feeling this is definitely going to be another one of those ones where you're going to have all of the information, especially because you have like the super duper sweet version of this movie. So you got to see all the behind the scenes shit. And I know hardly anything about this movie other than the fact that I've now watched it twice. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Well, yeah, the cool thing was last year, Unearthed had a big sale around this time and it's like, you know what? I've got a little extra funds. I took advantage of their cell, and I did pick up two films by Phil Stevens, who is our director today. But one of them did so happen to be the three-disc edition of Flowers. How do you fill three discs with shit from this? Believe it or not. I mean, this is only like an hour, 18-minute movie. That's yeah. the point I'm getting at. Like, Dude, I was kind of in the same boat when I thought about it. And I think I told you, or at least mentioned to you throughout the week that... The actual making of is longer than the actual film. (laughs) Right. But there's so much content. Like, they really did a good job of documenting the process, which I'll be talking about much later on. But, yeah, the special features are definitely worth owning. Dope. All right, so Guts and Bolts, we'll start off with a synopsis. I mean, I guess spoiler-free. I'm trying to think of what the spoiler in this would be. Okay, I guess spoiler-free synopsis would be six girls wake up not together in the crawl space of what appears to be their captor slash is a serial killer of some sort and it's them trying to get out yeah that makes it seem a lot more furtive than it really is it's very much more like a surrealistic almost art housey it's not like they're trying to get out like green room or something <laughs> exactly or the film get out yeah, yeah. i it's mean more... technically they're trying to get out but right it's not like they're fucking wailing against doors and getting chased through this fucking place <laughs> is the point i'm getting at. exactly so another thing this is not really a spoiler but this film has no dialogue right no dialogue so you're right that's not a spoiler but i think it is important to the synopsis so people kind of know what they're getting into Precisely. Yeah, because being spoiler-free in the way that we frame things is going to sound like something that it's not. (laughs) So, I didn't think about having to explain this film out loud, because if you were to explain it out loud, make it seem a lot more fast-paced than it truly is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? You hit the nail on the head when you said this is more of an art house-style, surreal, kind of an abstract horror film. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so take us through our cast and crew. All right. And I have a feeling we're not going to be seeing many credits for many of them. No, but I do have some interesting ones. Other than the fact that they probably all did like a shit ton of things on this movie, which is interesting in and of itself. No doubt. So this week we'll lead off with our director. He's also our writer, our cinematographer, and one of our producers on this film. And this is Phil Stevens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you also buy some shit on Phil? (laughs) (laughs) I did. So he's doing a fundraiser, a Kickstarter, for another project, which I'll mention what it is later on. And as a part of that, he was selling a lot of his personal films, like his private collection of films. And the two films I picked up, which I didn't own, one of them was the Evil Dead 2 Blu-ray. So I own that. And then I picked up Phantasm 2, the DVD from uh, Scream Factory, oh, cool. which that was the one we just reviewed not too long ago. So it was nice. I got to you know, get special features from that. But anyway, long story short, I have corresponded with him. I have bought things off of him. And he actually approached us in hopes, I suppose, of reviewing this. And we were like, I was about to say, not? I, you know, to be upfront and open and transparent, he did send us a screener basically, you know, a digital screener so we could watch this and hopefully review it. And 
However, I don't think he realized that we had already <laughs> talked about possibly doing this movie just previous like a, to that. Just a weird coinky dink. Now, to be 100% honest, we probably would have gotten to it, but there's probably other extreme movies we would have got to first. I would agree. If Especially he wouldn't have done that. In the Unearthed catalog. And that's no discredit to this film. It's just there were probably other films that we would have focused on prior, but... But I'll this mention, was something we had talked about exact, multiple times exactly. before he ever sent us anything. Specifically this film. Not even Lung 2. I mean, we specifically brought up Flowers a couple different times. Partially because you have the three <laughs> film, the three discs set. Yeah, and it was one of those two. Honestly, before we even reviewed it, it was still in its shrink wrap. So once we decided we were going to do this, I took it out of the shrink wrap. So yeah, it's cherry was popped because <laughs> we're reviewing this. So it's a good way to do it. So... I don't know. It's a little bit mixed. We moved it up because Phil reached out, but yeah. we were probably going to do this anyway, so I don't say we necessarily feel beholden to blow him too much, right, but I think right. we're going to end up doing it because I really liked this movie. Well, likewise. All right, so like I mentioned that, this is Phil Stevens' baby, and he has done other projects. Some people consider this his feature film. Believe it or not, this is his third feature film. His other two... Before that were Below Man. That was back in 2008. That was actually his first film. And the second feature film was Frank Edge Jr. back in 2009. Now, since then, and after Flowers, he has gone on to direct Lung 2, which there is deleted scenes that extend that one out further, which is called Lung 1, which can be confusing when you're trying to watch those two. He's also done such projects as Sever, Return of the Pennsylvania Chainsaw Massacre, Escape from Pennsylvania, and he's got an upcoming film that he's kickstarting. I'm not going to mention it quite yet, but it's in the works. All right, so along with Phil on this project, we do have an editor, and this gentleman is Ronnie Sorter. Now, he has done editing work on such projects as Sinistra. He's also been the editor on Living a Zombie Dream. He's also the editor on the film Ravage, Kitty Killers. He was also the editor on Phil's Long Two. He's also the editor on the short films Slime and AMI. The music was composed by Mark Hufner. He has gone on to compose the music for Lung 2, which was another one of Phil's movies. He's also the composer for the movies Root of Darkness, the film Anomaly, The Unhandyman, Birds of a Feather 2, and the television series Homicide Hunter, Lieutenant Joe Kenda. The special effects were done by Anastasia Blue and Crystal Finch. They helped with the special makeup effects on this. This was produced by Phil Stevens, I mentioned earlier, and H. Attila. I was wondering what the H did for, and because I have the special features, I now know that his name is Hyro. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. All right, production companies on this project were Borderline Cinema, Frog Militia, and P. Stevens Productions. Distributors were Unearthed Films. They helped with the 2015 worldwide DVD release. It was released limited on February 20th of 2015 and then worldwide on October 27th, 2015. It had an estimated budget of $20,000. I do have two taglines for this film. So the first one I'll start off with is with an ellipsis and then it it is in the silence. And the second tagline is where do murder victims go when they have the chance to choose? Huh, okay. 
I don't think I dislike either of those, but they're both a bit more vague. I don't know what I'd fucking come up with this tagline for this movie, though. Yeah. I, this is fucking It's definitely hard. a head-scratcher. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, just well, talking about this bad. movie, it sounds a lot more slashery than Yeah, then I think it it's probably intended purpose. Exactly. Moving along, we do have a pretty interesting cast. And this week, I want to start off with Colette McKenna. She plays Flower, number one. She was also in Phil's Lung Part 2. Now, Colette is actually the real-life wife of Phil. So She's also helped with like some of the prop effects. She was a body double for one of the actresses in this, too, for some insert shots. Hmm. So I got to see some of that. It's pretty cool. All right, now, I did mention this actress before because she was a part of the special makeup effects, but Crystal Fitch, she plays Flower Number 2. This is her only The, the numbers, is that the order that they appear? It is. Okay. Which... I was like, man, thank God, because it would have been confusing. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's still not the easiest to remember which one was which in the order they appear. That's okay, but... I got my notes specifically for that reason. <laughs> All right, so Flower number three was played by Anastasia Blue. Like I said, she was also one of the special makeup effects artists on this. This is also her only credit. All right, Flower number four was played by Tanya Aaron Paoli. Now, she's actually got some film credits to her name. She's been in such projects as Evil Brew... You might have seen her in the film Daisy Durkins. She was also in Dog Sitter of the Damned and another film entitled Undead Zombie Hookers. Flower number five was played by Kara A. Christensen. This is her only film credit as of right now. I have three other people. One of them is Macaria Sapatora. She played Flower number six and she was in a film entitled IBS. You want to take a guess what that means? IBS. It's not irritable bowel syndrome because it's a film. Believe it or not, it's a horror film about irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. I had to look up the synopsis because I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if that's exactly what it means. And sure enough, it is. How is it a horror film about I mean, I'll put irritable this way. bowel? I don't have it, but I would imagine if you got shit really bad and you're out of options, it could turn into a horror story really fast. So is it... Is it a horror movie for people who suffer acute secondhand embarrassment? <laughs> like Possibly. <laughs> this one's probably a little bit more on the uh, comedic side of the IBS horror you know, genre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was kind of neat. All right, so I got two other actors, and that kind of rounds out the cast in this. But I do have Bryant H. Lore Sr. He plays the Exile, and he was also a part of Phil Stevens's Lung 2. And the last actress I have in this is Rachelle Keeling. She plays the victim. Her only other film credit that I have is King of the Nerds. Victim in the very beginning? Very, very, okay. very beginning, yeah. So that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. Like I said, it was a very low-budgeted film, so therefore that's why you don't see like very many credits for these people. But that doesn't take away from their acting abilities either. Oh, no, no, not at all. I thought this was... We'll get into everything I thought about this movie, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like I said, you gave a brief synopsis. We gave you who went into making the film. We do have to give you some warnings for this oh, one. Oh, Jesus. So we mentioned this was distributed by Unearthed, right? Absolutely. Think about the type of movie that they <laughs> tend to do. So we have previously reviewed Etros, and that was our first venture into Unearthed, and that was pretty extreme. Yeah. This one's a lot artier. It is, for sure. And we'll get into some of the stuff, but this movie still definitely falls into the extreme end of horror. Although maybe, let me think. 
There's lots of gore. There is. This film is really nasty. There's a lot of disturbing images. It's fucking grody to the max. It is. It really is. If you're not comfortable with, like, crawling in dirt and slime and gunk, you're going to be really squeamish. Indeterminate gunk. Yeah. Let let your brain fill in the details kind of gunk. You know, the kind of the cool thing about this film, too. (laughs) O-F-F-A-L. This film really fits into our name, our moniker, The Fried Squirms, because this will make you squirm. Yeah. There's necrophilia. There is. There's not that much actual on-screen violence. There is a little bit. Yeah, most of it, it's not implied because you know it happened, but it's a lot of cutaways, so you don't really necessarily see the violence. You see the aftermath, though. You see the aftermath, and you see a lot of disturbing imagery, and like we said, necrophilia. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and nudity. Definitely nudity. Male and female alike. Oh, shoot, we. <laughs> I know you're getting with that one. So, yeah, if you can handle the extreme end of horror, if you're comfortable and familiar with unearthed films, you're going to be right at home with this movie. Shit, let's get into how flowers made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, fucking flowers. Just go for it. All the spoilers. Like, they're all dead. That's the only fucking spoiler I can think of, and honestly, if you're paying attention in the movie, you can figure that out about three minutes in. Yeah, I would hope so, after seeing certain physical... <laughs> the fucking why. Yeah, right? exactly. The why <laughs> incision should let you know something's fucky. Yeah. That was the hard part about just like ten minutes ago, coming up with a spoiler-free synopsis. Like, there's no spoiler except they're all dead. Basically. You kind of know everything from the beginning, but you don't know you don't know everything. You know something's awry. I think the thing that kind of confused me at okay, first Okay, you don't was, know everything from the beginning, but everything's planted really well throughout yeah. the movie, so you know everything before you actually get to the end. Anyway, we're jumping way into this yeah, really no, quickly. Right. <laughs> I really liked Flowers. I did too. Now, when we decided that we were going to do the film for the podcast, I think I put the film in Tuesday night of last week. And I started in on it, and I got about 20 minutes into it, and then I was just distracted by all kinds of shit. It's like, I need to dedicate to watching this film. So I revisited it a few nights later, I think it was Thursday night, and I was like, holy fuck, this movie's good. And it's one of those films, too, where I'm not huge on films that are just about sound design, Mm -hmm. because it tends to fall flat. Not always, but you know, they're just not really my cup of tea. But I was like, man, the acting was solid enough, and the sound design was, like, really good. And it kept me intrigued about what the hell's going on with these women. And until you finally get at the end, I was like, wow, I actually watched a whole movie without any word of dialogue. This is really cool. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, so I was excited about what you had to say about it, because I really enjoyed it right off the bat. So I really enjoyed it. Like, I feel almost a little bit bad sitting here right now getting ready to talk about it because i almost have like the least (laughs) amount of notes for this movie of almost any movie we've ever done and i'm not exactly sure what i'm going to say about this movie yet because of that because like you said like there is no dialogue it's all about sound design it's all about the visuals you're seeing absolutely and putting together all the pieces but it also all kind of just washes over and happens to you. It really does. And there wasn't many things that I saw that prompted me to write shit down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was all just kind of this long, holistic experience almost. It really is an experience. 
and that I think is what like true art is. And one thing I can say is with Phil is that he is a visual artist. You know, this film sprouted or sprung forth, no pun intended, from a doodle, a drawing that he had done. And he's like, there's something there. There's something that he feels like he could take from the painting and put it onto a monitor, onto a film. And that's what he did. So I think it's really interesting about that because a lot of his artworks were just really pretty gnarly. So I guess immediately with this movie there's two maybe three movies that we've covered that you could kind of liken it to and i think i like it better than all of them immediately obviously you have atros yeah yeah not just because it's also distributed by unearthed but because it's also extreme extreme, yeah exactly and also along the lines of extreme would be like headless no doubt And honestly, just the grodiness and overall decay of the place reminded me a lot of how we had just done Tetsuo. No doubt. That's a good way of looking at that, too, because I do understand that's like one of his influences. And especially some of the parts early in the movie when they're like still down in the crawl space, a lot of the textures and just overall disgusting, encroaching feeling reminded me a lot of some of the Tetsuo like metal world stuff and the rust and shit like that yeah this is a very organic film throughout and you know once we kind of get into the film itself especially with the sludge and slime it was interesting to note that a lot of it was just topsoil and whatever they could get a hold of so they used everything that they could i guess the thing that i really liked about this movie especially the first time through was how the mystery of it kind of unfolded like I said, you don't have any words to go off of. Precisely. You're just kind of so you're having to it. do a lot of guessing. In a way, it reminded me kind of how like I processed reading A Clockwork Orange for the first time. I don't know if you've ever read Clockwork Orange. I, ha- I haven't, personally. <clears throat> you've seen the movie, right? I certainly have. So the slang dialect, NADSAT, the entire book is written in that. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. That'd be really confusing. So you're really having to pay attention to context... Almost like you're in like first or second grade all over again, where you run into a word you don't know, and you're like, okay, so I know this word, and I know this word, so this one has to mean something along these lines. And I felt this movie was almost doing that, where like, you don't have the dialogue input at all, and so you're having to be like, well, I have this, and I have this, if I put them together, what am I getting? Right. No puns either, but you're trying to take these pieces of the puzzle, put them together to form a bigger picture. And that's kind of what attracted me to the film, of course, is going throughout the home and these certain stages of the women. And like, are we following one person? Are we following six different people? That was the other thing I really liked was I felt like throughout the movie, as I've already alluded to, film always let you know some things. But what you knew always led to something more. You're like, okay, they got cut open, but are they dead? If they're dead, does it actually matter? Even if they're dead, were they brought back to life, or is this the afterlife? Exactly. You're trying to look for all these clues to try to be like, okay, which of these possibilities is it? I know this little bit, right? but this thing means that either this is happening or this is happening. So where's my next clue? Yeah, and I do like that. It teeter-totters a little bit with that, right? Mm-hmm. The unknown, which is really cool. Now... What I was going to say with a little bit of that, too, is that this film has been described as kind of like a philosophical purgatory. You can kind of interpret it that way, too. 
like I said, just I guess depending on your views and stuff. But after a while, after kind of piecing these things together too, it started making sense. Like there is kind of this limbo state that they're in. You're just trying to figure out what's going on with them, if it's individual, etc. So I, I like that aspect of it. I think by the end of the film, it's definitely evident that it is a type of purgatory, but it's also fucked up that (laughs) it's, I mean, not just that it's fucked, because it's fucked up just in general, but it's so fucked up that it's not their purgatory. It's a purgatory that's completely decided by the fact that they were the victims of this man. Yeah. They just so happen to be caught in this, yeah, this loop that involves all these other victims as well. And so it's not even their own personal purgatory. Even though it's a purgatory that once they, oh God, like I'm still trying to figure out the pictures exactly. And maybe from your behind the scenes footage, you might have more input. Okay. Early on in the movie, the first time through, I'm like, when I realized that they were probably dead thanks to the Y incision, I'm like, well, I'm betting this isn't purgatory. This seems to be hell. Because of how fucking bad everything seemed. Yeah, I can see that for sure. You know what I mean? So I'm like, this isn't purgatory, this is hell way early on. And I'm like, so how do you make sure hell has some sort of sting? And that's give them some sort of hope. And that's what the picture was to me. Especially the first time through the movie. For a lot of the movie, I'm like, it's some sort of hope that they're still clinging to. Because if everything's hopeless, then does it really matter that you're being tortured? Exactly. What does it matter anyway? If there's nothing else to existence, then yeah, it doesn't matter. The <laughs> but then I don't know, like, I don't know if it's unfortunate in that the movie suffers for it, or if it's just unfortunate that I had a hard time myself keeping it straight. But with this being six different girls, it was hard to keep track of when each of them had actually moved on, if that makes sense. I know what you're saying, yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah, depending on the time frame, I suppose. And not just time frame, but like... So when you get to the very end, you sort of end up seeing... All of them end up at that table, and it seems to be in the order that they were killed. And it uh, presumably it all took them the same amount of time, and they were technically in the same building, but it's not actually a building. It's a purgatory of some sort. But the last one is trapped. She hasn't moved on yet. And the rest of them, after getting one last time to see everything that happened, and it sort of explains it back to us and ties in things that you had been seeing before and like, oh, that makes a lot more sense now. Oh, look, like she was looking in on this and da-da-da-da-da. They all get to leave except for the one at the end. It was hard keeping track leading up to that on when they accepted and moved on so that they could be done at the end. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And this, I feel like if I could have paid better track of the pictures, right. then that would have helped me understand that more. The pictures, I think, are a little deceiving, too. And the reason I say that is that you don't know exactly if it's attached to them, like the victims themselves, right? And that was the thing that, you're right, it's like a token, right? They're holding on to something that leads them back, I guess, to their mortality or whatever. On the second view, the way I interpreted it was, is like, it's not necessarily their heirlooms. It was, I feel like it could be the heirlooms of the serial killer. Like, he's almost trying to recreate this image of, could be his mother or sister or whatever. Therefore, that's why it's in black and white, you know. And one thing that really stood out to me was in the bathroom scene where, say, the defect. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, what he's trying to do is he's trying to recreate. He's using all these women to... Like I said, recreate this motherly figure or some kind of, you know, goddess figure in his mind. 
And by the end of the movie, that's kind of what I was thinking too. When I'm like, oh, they're all in the same. Yeah, he's fucking all the same nightgown. (laughs) The one had went so far to put on the pearls, though, and maybe that's why she got capped. None of the other ones took that extra step. Yeah, I mean, it's quite possible. We don't know because it doesn't really spell it out. But it would tend to maybe lend its hand to that. Yeah, maybe it almost seems like it was some sort of sick Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's Willy Wonka. The rest of them flunked out, and she was the one that went for the fucking pearls. Yep. That's what he was looking for. (laughs) Perhaps. You know, why else would she be on the bed with him at the end, and the rest are surrounding? I mean, it almost makes us hate us. Well, maybe it is symbolic, too, like a flower figure. Ooh. So, I mean... This movie's abstract and surreal enough that I don't mean this to bust the movie's balls at all, but is that last scene real? Because if what they were being shown on the tape at that last table at the end was real, then it seems impossible that a couple of their bodies could have been there. In those precise locations, yeah, exactly. I think it's more symbolic. I think so too, yeah. but it's... But I know what you mean by that too, yeah. If you're trying to follow it, I guess logically, perhaps... Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Why because would they the, be waking up on all these The killer spots? seems real, if nothing else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or the fact that there is a killer and it is who we see is real. And it seems like the videotaping sequence kind of early on in the movie is real, and I'm still kind of curious about that, too. Yeah. What did you make of the voyeurs? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Well, I made note of the fact that there's six of them, six of the victims, six women... So I was wondering, okay, is there a connection there? Or is it like, you can only derive from, like I said, trying to pick up loose threads. So you can interpret anyway. But the way I looked at it, it's like, there's one of two things. Either these guys are like a part of some weird cultish thing, you know, where like they could be paying this guy to kill them, these women, make tapes and then send them back to them because they get their, you know, jollies off Mm -hmm. on it. Or it could just be something more clandestine or sinister than that. I don't know. But I still thought it was an interesting way of <laughs> kind of maybe even throwing you another curveball. You don't know exactly what the fuck they're doing there in the first place. Could these all be their killers, plural, instead of one guy? You know, who knows? I'm starting to lean a little bit more towards the fact that it might have been a really fucked up, surreal, arguably supernatural Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. If you go with more of the purgatory route idea in this movie, then could they potentially be... Maybe not necessarily like angels, considering the kind of purgatory that's being allowed is dependent upon who's fucking killing who and shit. But to borrow a term from wrist cutters, they're the people in charge. Gotcha. The supernatural entities behind the scenes overlooking it all. Sort of the celestial bureaucracy. Good point. Could be. And that's the thing. There's enough wiggle room where, I mean, any of that's plausible. Yeah. The first time through, I almost forgot about them by the end of the movie and then i sort of realized like like that was the one thing that never seemed to get tied back in everything else it seemed sort of got wrapped around in one way or another which i thought was really neat by the way i I feel like you don't normally see films with this extreme of imagery pay attention to that sort of story shit and laying out these visual cues that come back later on and you're like oh fucking that's why oh that's why yeah which, yeah, you're right. I thought that was really neat. Artistically, it was really neat. Certain things would trigger. Usually, it was the photos that would trigger the flashbacks, like snippets. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the very end, we get it through the television sets. Do you happen to know if Phil likes Death Clock? Oh, I have no idea. Because I definitely noticed that he included a briefcase full of guts. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did note, too, that the use of clocks in this, there was the pocket watch. And then, of course, there was a, I think there was a couple of different clocks throughout the home, too. So that was kind of neat. Almost like the limbo state. I mean, maybe that was a cue. Their time of death, perhaps. So I do have to say that for me, the most disgusting scene in the entire movie was the fucking eating. <laughs> yeah, the gluttony. Yeah, the gluttony was really weird because it, everything else seemed like at least a version of a natural response. I kind of felt like some of the bathroom stuff seemed a little subdued from the actresses. Like, are you really trying to get out of this place? Yeah, yeah. But it was weird enough and off-putting and unnerving enough that I'm like, I still kind of got it. <laughs> and I do get that it seemed like there was some sort of compulsion there once she was in that spot. And once again, there's weird, like, accepting your own faults and purgatory aspects. And even though she gluttoned herself, she emptied herself afterwards when she realized what she had done. <laughs> yeah, and, no, that was um, really cool. I really liked that. But there was just something about that eating that fucking was disgusting, man. Like, that got to me more than any of the fucking gore in this movie or That's anything awesome. else. I was like, this is terrible. Fucking stop it. Well, and especially because once it was focused on for more than, like, 20 seconds, I'm like, oh, they're going to change and it's going to be something fucking disgusting. And I was just really glad it wasn't shit. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that would have been a different story. One of the cool things that I liked about that whole sequence of events course was the symbolism with the pig watching her eat you know i was like all right that's kind of poking fun of making a pig at yourself the gluttonous part of it of course she did devour all that stuff but because you know we review films week in and week out it's like i know these were shot over the course of like several takes of course but that's what i was thinking too is like i wonder how long in between takes it took her to eat all that shit because there's no way that she was just like she's pretty thin gal to begin with she wasn't housing all that shit in one take (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the first thing that went through my mind well and if she was then you hope it was just one take right it just like just go for it you hope that she didn't eat like half a plate of something and then something fucked up and they had to reset the plate and she had to re-eat half the plate to re-get that oh shot. no I, I don't think that was within their budget I know what you're saying it's just like yeah for those maybe particular takes yeah I don't know how many takes they did between those shots but yeah you would hope she didn't have to do very many and I, I don't think they did considering some of the stuff I watched Mm-hmm. Like he had a particular a number of shots he wanted for each day because for a $20,000 budget, it took him from the time they started to the time they completed about 14, 15 months, something like that. It took a little while. Dang. So this, I mean, this really is falling into like Tetsuo territory. Yeah. I mean, it really was. They filmed inside his house. All those sets were connected inside his home. So he built them along with, of course, several hands <laughs> inside his house. It was really cool though. It's really neat. Where's he at? Can we go give him a hand next time? He's in Philly. (laughs) Don't be silly when you're in Philly. No. So with that too, I guess some of the things I wanted to talk about with this film in particular is knowing that that this was like, this was going to be a a non-dialogue film. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. I own two others. One of them is Begotten. And that one's super art housey and it's surreal and it's a bizarre film, right? And that one can be a little off-putting. Because you're following this very surrealistic, you know, story, this allegory. Sometimes it can be super dull because not a whole lot's happening, you know. But needless to say, this one, man, I was super excited after watching. It's like, man, this is going to be fun to talk about. Mm -hmm. This one really stood out. Not only that, but in the unearthed catalog of films I have seen, 
this is arguably one of the better ones in the catalog. I mean, so I yeah, I already mentioned I like this better than Athros, the only other unearthed. Yeah, I mean that's no discredit to Lex because that film's really good. But this one is it's visually it's stunning. I think the cinematography was like superb. The sound score, the design itself was really fucking good, which I'm going to talk about in just a little while with the gentleman who did that. It's fucking, it's gnarly, dude. As the movie went on, at some point, like, at least for me, there was a point where it had been so long since I heard anybody say a word, because obviously nobody says anything in this movie, but (laughs) I'm also sitting there in silence. Like, it just popped into my mind again. Like, nobody's saying anything in this movie. And it did make me think, like, not in a way where he screwed up, and I think it could be made better, but it started making me wonder of other possibilities. Like, maybe you don't hear any actual dialogue, but what if you had, like, this, almost this same movie, but whenever there was any sort of pain or anything, you still heard, like, screams and exclamations, right. like, outbursts. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, it's a very good point. And not in a way where I think it would make this movie any better, but I just, I couldn't help myself but start wondering, like, if you're already playing around with it like this, what are other ways you could play around with it? What would it do? Yeah. You're right. I mean, that's some technical things, but... But there's not many parts in this movie where there would be screams. Most of the time you're seeing the aftermath. And that's kind of how I feel, too, is like, I like the minimalism in this, too, because it gives you just enough to where you know what the fuck is going on, and... I think for them too, knowing the fact that they do still have like these pangs and, but they're kind of squashed really quick though. Is kind of what I'm getting as like they go through this like almost humanistic feeling still. Like there's still that thread, but they do something that diminishes that. Is what I'm getting at. Like when the the gal who's eating all the food, she has a stomach pain. She eats. She throws that shit back up. But then that's it. Like there's no more of that. Like at first I was wondering. I wonder if she died from cancer. I wonder if. You know, like why she's having these stomach pangs. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw what was going on, I was like, huh. And But her death doesn't have anything to do with the gluttonous behavior. She just so happened to be a prostitute with the other gal and got choked out and fucked and all yeah. that stuff. So that was kind of the thing that, not that it threw me off, but I was just like, okay, that's kind of an interesting play on maybe the, some of the sins as well. Like from what I derived watching those TV sets and seeing how their death played out, it's like, well, perhaps most, if not all, these women are probably prostitutes. They prostituted themselves or did something to feed their habits. Like, they mm-hmm. were kind of hollow people, is what it seemed to be. Which uh, was further exemplified by the... Yeah, the reaching in, which was really cool. In, I like that. super cool. Yeah, and it's like they were trying to, you know, fill themselves back up with something or just fill the void. You know, and I appreciated that. Not that it had to do with their death, per se, but it was just still another kind of a, an interesting, symbolic way of portraying their character. And that ties back into more like the purgatory aspect because the ones that we see move on, you have like the one girl opened herself back up. You see the fucking bullshit come back out from her fucking needle marks on the the other girl and shit. In some way, they've all rejected it except for the girl that stays at the end who is the one that refilled herself with shit. Yep. Almost seeing seemingly to knowingly, it's almost like she knew Something's that something right. wasn't right, right, but she was choosing to see it a certain way anyway, right? Right, right, you're to right, make she herself wasn't ready. feel full, yeah. I don't think she was quite ready to move on, 
you know. But that, I think that was really cool. I know that was one of the things reading other people's reviews and watching a couple of videos is, you know, when you try to really make sense of the film, you can stumble over your feet and it can be confusing. But also the interesting thing about it is you don't necessarily have to interpret it or analyze it any certain way. You can just take it for what it is and it's art. You know, you're thrown into a situation. Certain things do play out. I mean, certain things you can make sense of. But it's very subjective. It's very open to interpretation. And that's what I do appreciate about this film a lot. We're all going to read it a different way. And as far as kind of a fucked up horror premise goes, like this purgatory based on being killed by a fucking serial killer. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so curious as to what some other killer's victims are going through. Yeah. You don't really necessarily... In their personal purgatories. Right, right, right. You don't always get that portrayed or played out. It's mostly from one side or the other. I like this side of the storytelling, too. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, we know there's a guy killing. We don't necessarily need a whole lot from him. That's all we really need to know. It's like, what the fuck's going on with these women? I like that. Yeah. But it's weird because it's not even what's going on with them. Right. It's, it's just... like this weird, like, you're kind of looking into his psyche... Because of the situation that they're put in. No doubt. While they re-explore themselves through his fucking twisted vision. Man, I like that a lot, too. I thought that was really cool, man. Yeah. To go back, though, to the girl that refills herself, I did want to say that that was probably, especially the first half of that sequence, where she first sits down and tries putting on her makeup and shit. That was one of my favorite sort of sequences in the entire movie. Especially coming off the disgustingness of the disgusting eating. As weird as it is, that felt like one of the more natural bits in this movie. Like I said early on, I'm like, are you really trying to get out of that bathroom? Yeah. But this girl, even though it seems really weird that she stumbles upon this room and decides to just start doing her makeup, to me it's like you found this one thing where in the midst of all this shit, you can try to grasp this little bit of like normalcy. Yeah. And like you know that you're good at this. And I don't know if she's actually good at doing her fucking makeup or not. But, like, it's like this familiar thing that's all set up that doesn't seem to have anything hidden behind it until the fucking dirt in a bit. But at least that whole first half. And then you get the beautiful over-the-shoulder shot where you're like seeing her light. in the mirror. But then you get the light right to the right of the mirror. And as she's dusting her powder, you can see bits of it waft up through the light. I thought it was fucking beautiful. Yeah, they did pay really close attention to detail with lighting. Because we have to remember that they were shooting in some very limited and minimal space. So lighting is super important in those shots and those scenes. But you're right. I like the fact that they were using the mirror to give you two different vantage points, you know, the over the shoulder. And then, of course, I like the third person point of view. And there was even a moment for a little bit in that sequence where you don't see the over the shoulder. You see more from the mirror's perspective. And I like that because that's when things are starting to be revealed more with her. It's a little slow paced at first. You're just like, oh, she stumbled upon a beauty room. You know, big deal. But you're right. It showed the vapidness, like there's something empty, she's dealing with it, but she's not quite ready to deal with it. <laughs> and she slips on the clean gown, and yeah, the pearled necklace, whatnot, yeah. I mean, once again, you can bring it back to the pictures, and it's like they were all trying to hold on to their picture, and it all seems to be about letting go. Like I said, I don't remember when they all lost their pictures, and I don't know how much of that actually holds up throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at least with her, when she goes into that changing room, or that powder room, it's fucking filled with pictures. No doubt. It's not just holding on to no, one no, thing. No, no, it's all, like, most it's of the It's surrounding there. her. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. And that, a little bit, made me think more from the killer's perspective. 
he has these bits of family heirlooms and then on the other side he's got an idea of what he wants the woman to be and you know their negligee <laughs> their brassieres and all that stuff so i looked at it from that point of view but i can also see it too like letting things go holding on to the past and present etc you're like say, in that in-between space so yeah i like that it's multi-layered well, and then you can add in the fact that as they go through this, they're gradually ascending. Ascending as well, yeah. And that's like, oh, that's a Jacob Slatter moment. <laughs> that's like, yeah. That, that was kind of neat, too. All right. So along with that, right, along with the film itself, it's really cool how all that stuff was played out. I like the sequence from going from the crawl space underneath the porch all the way through the house, inside the interior, all the way up until, I guess, the attic. Right? So you are going through these layers. Well, and it's a surreal enough movie... That I should also, I guess, point out the very first time through was during some of those static cuts between the girls. I started wondering, is this all different aspects of the same girl? Excellent point. That's kind of what I wondered, too, because there is this continuity that's going along. You don't know if you're following six individuals or one person who's viewing themselves through victims, perhaps. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, one person I wanted to talk about because he had a huge hand in this project. I thought it was really cool. Is after the principal photography was done, like it was wrapped, that date, for those who are curious about that kind of stuff, the last date that they shot, and this is Phil Stevens and the Cowles, is uh, he shot on April 14th of 2014. And this was part of the, what I put the body pit slash where all the body parts are kind of piled up. This was like some of his insert shots. So it was the scenes with Colette at the beginning, like the very beginning, underneath okay. the lattice porch. He built that set in his basement. He's got like a set of stairs that go down, and it's just a you know kind mm-hmm. of an open space. So they used a bunch of garbage bags, and they built this lattice, you know, enclosure, put her in there, and then he put all these like skeletons and their bits of gore. Now they were really keen on what the practical effects. Most of it was done with like caro syrup and chocolate powder and cinnamon mm-hmm. and like shit I would have never have even thought about. I was like, this is probably just some nasty ass. I don't know. I don't want to know where the fuck they got it. <laughs> it was just like topsoil, just practical things, right? Yeah. They just made it look really fucking good. And I think a lot of it has to do too with the color tones in this. It's not color. It's more like sepia. It has all these different filters. A little using. bit desaturated. It is. It really um, is. And that was something else I was like. I'm curious what it would have been like if they would have just went for full-on black and white. Because the one awesome thing about black and white is blood turns out black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a really cool-looking effect. And it almost would have mixed the blood in right with the soil and made it almost indistinguishable, which I think could have been neat throughout this movie. No but it also could have been completely different and almost impossible to do with some of the scenes without I, I agree with super that. crazy lighting. And yeah, so with the lighting probably would have thrown a lot of things off. And then you factor in the budget. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say with that is them just building all those sets inside of his home. So, you know, he was dedicated to this project. He even made mention of that when they were doing the Kickstarters. Like, he'd sell his fucking right arm if he had to mm-hmm. to make this film. But the guy I wanted to talk about is Ronnie Sorter. So after they did all the insert shots, principal photography, he's like, he didn't know if he had enough in him to edit the film, right? He's like, you know, he just kind of is exhausted. It took him 13 months to do everything from start to finish, you know? Mm -hmm. So he sent it over to Ronnie. He said he trusts him. He's like, if there's anybody I trust, it's going to be Ronnie. So the cool thing about the making of is you get to see that process, you know, and he talked about 
when he got the film, Ronnie, that is, he's like, you know, I know I had to piece it together using Phil's vision, but there's also things I wanted to insert to enhance it a little bit. And one of those, he shot that opening sequence with the first victim outside of his home. He's like, oh, shit, if I would have known that Phil was going to shoot in the crawl spaces, they could have just shot in my home. He did. He had a lattice porch right up underneath his, <laughs> his house. It's like, fuck, that was cool, right? So Richelle Keeling and this other guy I got written down is Mike Strain Jr. He was the guy that was actually, you only see his legs when he's like hitting the gal and driving oh, okay. her home. Yeah. So they shot it all on Ronnie's porch, oh. <laughs> like at night. I watched the whole thing. It was pretty cool. And uh, he went underneath his crawl space and was just shooting through the lattice to get certain perspective shots and stuff like that. Then he inserted it in Colette's scene where she's underneath the house watching it. Right. So, you know, they were, of course, in two separate places just inserting those shots. I never would have guessed. That was... Me either. I thought it was just one sequence, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. So he did that there. He did all the Foley work. He did all the sound design, all the stuff that needed to keep that pacing to keep you engaged in the film. Mm -hmm. Because as Phil is filming it, you can hear them talking throughout. Like, he's instructing the gals what to do, hold their breath, do this and that, making jokes and shit. So it's like, there's no way they could have kept all that stuff that they were doing in the film. No. He even helped with the end sequence, Ronnie is, like during the credits. Like he was mocking it up, I guess, on like a photo editor thing. So all that stuff, he actually, it wasn't like he just typed in a, a certain font. Like he mm-hmm. did bubble lettering. It was like, God damn, dude. He put a lot of work in this Dang. film. And uh, I would say like if it wasn't for that guy's, his secondary vision, it could have been a completely different film. It really could have. But uh, another cool thing about him, too, is, like, this guy, he knows his shit in terms of, like, how to make fake blood and prosthetics and shit like that. And so if, for those who are curious about that, he has instructional videos on all kinds of ways to make blood for different scenarios, whether you want it on your clothes to stain mm-hmm. a certain way, if you want it for, like, squib shots, if you need it for, like, when someone's actually getting cut or shot, you name it. He knows how to create it, and it's fucking practical i'm not going to give anything away because you know yeah <laughs> i don't need to but i was like man that's because he that's, does it <laughs> he does it but i was like man i need to keep some of the secrets to myself because <laughs> you never know but um i was like man that was really cool he, like he had a really cool part in this film like phil's fucking creative genius this guy just he knows how to piece things together mm-hmm. so i'm kind of curious about some of his other projects but aside from that some of the things that i thought that were neat like some of the little side trivia bits is uh, all those skeletons that they used in the making of this film. Apparently, Phil likes to name them. Okay. So all of the skeletons are named Uncle Marty. <laughs> right? And he numbers them. He's like, oh, this is Uncle Marty number 20 right here. This is used for the bathroom scene. <laughs> yeah, right? so that was kind of neat. One of the first people to be auditioned, actually, was the last girl, Flower Number 6. Her okay. name was uh, Macaria. She auditioned in February of 2013. And the whole thing, like her audition, was that whole sequence oh. that she did. And I was like, I don't really need to watch the whole thing. I'll watch probably like half of it. It's like, yeah, she did a really... And I mean, you know, she's in clothes and all that mm-hmm. stuff. She's just performing in front of the mirror. I was like, man, that was really good. <laughs> so that was really neat. All of Colette's scenes, the first flower, okay. were done after everybody, like all the other actresses had already wrapped up shot and all that stuff. So... That was like the last little bit of filming was actually the first <laughs> bits of stuff Bit. we get to see. It's really neat. And Anastasia, the one who, you know... The like first one in the bathroom? She is in the bathroom, yeah. She is also a visual artist. And she did, I would say, the majority 
of the special effects makeup in this for all the women, mm-hmm. including the exile, the killer in this film. He's a really interesting character, dude. It was his first feature. Right? Mm-hmm. We see him in a certain way in this film, right? He's kind of a not to poke fun, or I'm not because that's not what I'm, I'm trying to do. Is like he's almost a grotesque kind of figure, you know? He's a killer, but when you listen to him give interviews, he's not like the sweetest guy. It's like he sounds like he was an old head back in the day. Like he mm-hmm. kind of mentions that. <laughs> he was just super grateful for the fact that he got to be in this film and just he enjoyed the process. You could tell when he was filming and. Do uh, do any of the interviewers go? Hey, we've seen your dick. No, but I, I was like, I don't want to call him out, but that my god damn, he gives G.G. Allen a run for his money, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of feel bad in a, in a way. He, like he had no problem. Like he's like, I have no problem being naked. And if, <laughs> Phil asked, he's like, you ever you thought about doing porno? <laughs> so I thought about it. <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> like yeah, we've all thought about it. I don't know if it's for you, bud, but I mean. You know, more power to you if you do. Yeah, I wouldn't have been naked on film. Good for Fuck him. Fuck no. Not especially what, what he was packing. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, aside from that, like, so this is not to poke fun at the guy. He did a fucking really good job. Because yeah. what he portrays on film, and he talked about the fact, too, that he's not comfortable or wasn't comfortable having that pistol, putting it in her mouth. Oh. You know? He says, but the thing that he enjoyed and it got him over it was the after fact, like, Seeing how you know Phil's vision for that scene played out and how it looked on film, he's like, oh, then he's like, it was fine because I wasn't trying to hurt or nothing. He just doesn't shoot guns and stuff. He wasn't comfortable, but you know, it's no big deal. It's just art. Yeah, everybody involved, they were super dedicated. Most of them, if not all of them, are Philadelphia natives. Just some really interesting people. I think it's interesting when you have a certain person who has a vision. You know, in this case, Phil. It could be anybody who has a vision. You get the right people. You dedicate yourself to it, and you can make some really fucking cool shit. <laughs> like, when I think of Art House, you know, I think of stuff that we've seen more recently, like Suspiria and Mandy mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, even, like, some of Lars von Trier's stuff is, you know, super art housey. But this takes it to a different level, and this, to me, is, like, almost, like, pure art in a sense. You know, it's like uh, leaving canvas to film. One of the thoughts I had, especially last night when I was watching it, was I wonder... Now, we talked about in the past, when we talked about, like, Grindhouse and exploitation movies, how, especially at the time period, in that original time period, how some of them were overlooked simply because they were American films. I don't think that that happens as much these days, where that same stereotype plays in, but it does still to an extent. People immediately give a little bit higher art cred to something that's foreign, And I feel like this movie, credibility-wise, is hurt simply by the fact that it's an American film and not out of, like, Germany. Man, you know, that's a very, very solid point. Had this, you know, I mean, like I said, it's no discredit because that's not what you're saying. You're right. Had this been, like, in a foreign market, there's no telling. If this would have been out of Germany, there's a lot more people who would talk about it as an art house horror film rather than an, an extreme, extreme horror film that happens to be surrealistic and art house That's a very solid point because I, I don't really like the extreme part of it. Tatch, I mean, I understand why it's a marketing thing. It's just a way to clump it into a certain group of films. But this film, without trying to compare it to too many things along the German lines, is actually some of uh, Jörg Butkreit's films have this feel. They're very artsy. They deal with this macabre subject, but it's done tastefully. 
it's not really for the faint of heart, you know, because you're dealing with some extreme images and extreme subjects, but it's not extreme in the way I think of extreme. Like when I think of extreme, the first thing I think of is gore. There's going to be body parts and I'm like, not that there's not in this film, but it's a different sense It's a, it's of a much word. different feeling. Right, right. So I think you nailed that perfect is, yeah, had this been a, a German film from like the 80s or what have you, who gives a fuck? If it would have been French. Could have been Spanish in the 60s or 70s, something like that, Italian. It would have had a whole different moniker attached to it. I think you're right. It would have had a different marketing, maybe even praise value there. But this film deserves every bit of praise it gets, dude. I, I really enjoyed the shit out of this film. And that's not to blow smoke up Phil's ass. It's just, it's a good film, man. It's really good. Yeah, I'm really glad that he reached out to us so that we moved it up as high as we did on yeah, our likewise. list. Because I'm not sure if any of the films... Knowing the little bit that I know about some of the films we were considering above this, mm -hmm. I don't know if I actually would end up enjoying any of them as much as I enjoyed this. That's a good point. And I guess we'll see in the future because we're yeah. still considering them. But Yeah, yeah. You know, there's only a few. There's only a few that I... Like I said, there's quite a few in the catalog, but there's a few I have seen that I would put it in this same kind of category as flowers. Mm -hmm. There's only a few that I would even dare do that with. This is super good. If you're able to stomach this sort of thing, then I highly recommend it. Yeah, we mentioned, you know, kind of in our warnings, if you're comfortable with this kind of subject matter, maybe these types of films, you know, what I think is kind of interesting too, is there's going to be a lot of people who view extreme and probably give it shit because it's not extreme enough. I agree. That was the other thing I was just thinking. As soon as I said, like, you have to be comfortable with the subject matter, which is already extreme for some people. But as far as the subject matter that's actually tackled in this movie goes, this is kind of on the lower end. I really, it's tame in comparison to some other things that are way more extreme. It's just nasty throughout. Like it's right. grody to the fucking <laughs> it, max. It really is. A grody, fucking disgusting looking I, movie. I, mean, I can, I don't want to sound like I'm using puns all day, but I can stomach certain things all right. Like I didn't mind this. I like I don't like crawl spaces. I don't like being down those fucking things because they're grody. There's insects or spiders. There's just shit I don't want on me, mm -hmm. right? And so knowing that these gals were willing to crawl through the grody, <laughs> you know, and put it on in art, it's like more power to them, man. They were phenomenal for what they had to do. Another thing <laughs> that I thought was cool too is as they're putting all that gore and stuff on there. They knew that there was like chocolate and syrup they were using. You could see them like licking and like, ew, gross. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty cool though. But on film, it's, it looks pretty gnarly. Yeah. You know, it does a good job. So that's why I say it's, they did a really good job with what they had, the limited budget they had. They filmed most of all of this film in Phil Stevens' home. And then Ronnie shot some of the sequence in his home. And yeah, it was just a really good collaborative film. Yeah, it's hard to compare to other films without sounding, I don't know, too pretentious, I suppose. It's definitely a different film than I'm used to in terms of like the art aspect of it. Yeah, basically, I would highly recommend it. I went and rented it over on YouTube. Yeah, that's cool. He might have sent us a screener, but this is one of those ones kind of like Savage Land where I'm like, whatever, I'll find some way to chuck a little bit of money. Yeah. And I don't know how much he might pick up off of that, but well, still, it was it's, still it's chucking nice a little bit of money somewhere. So like that's long before I even knew who Phil was, you know, because he is super active on social media. So, you know, it's not like he's a recluse but it was one of those films i was kind of curious about i did watch a little bit along before i even watched flowers and same thing it's like you have to really pay attention to those films otherwise you're gonna get super lost but it makes me more curious about his film work and what he has in store and the bit of big news i suppose is that he has and he, they're still working on flowers too i don't know 
to what extent, I don't like really reading a lot until maybe something's wrapped up they know definitively. I don't know if it's a sequel. I don't know if it's a prequel, but it is an extension. And I want to say there's like different flowers in this one. Okay. So curious about that. And I think they're still using Bryant as the killer in the film. Okay, so I'm curious. So I don't still... know how much they're going to give to his backstory either. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to it though. I'm really curious as in that world that he's created, yeah. if different killers create different purgatories for their victims. That's a great point. And that's the thing. It's like you can really branch off from what he's doing. It's just opened up a whole different way of exploring that aspect of it. You know, kudos to him. Kudos to everybody involved with the project. And I'm glad we got to review it, man. It was my time for us, but I'm glad we did it. Right. So, yeah. Once again, I highly recommend it. There is some pretty crazy shit in it, but if you're comfortable <laughs> with seeing even just a little bit of it, I think you'll be able to get through this movie, and I think it's highly worth watching. Exactly. And like I said, we did Tetsuo recently. Yeah, so. as long as you cannot deal with the idea of necrophilia, I think you can get through the tiny bit that's in this movie. Because <laughs> yeah, there's not really bad. not that much. No. You don't really... I mean, it's nothing that you probably haven't seen already, if you're familiar with horror. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and like, I mean, kind of like we touched on before, like... Uh, mainstream TV is getting more and more extreme as it Dude. is anyway. So if you can deal with some of the shit that you've seen on Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, yeah, I'm sure you, you can, can actually deal this with shit. this movie. This is just more all the way through. No doubt. Exactly. And yeah, it's dude. not as fun to think about. You don't have dragons <laughs> in between. You just no. have more shit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty fucking early. But, dude, I'm happy we did it. It was fun. I'm glad we did. Yeah, so I think next week it sounds like we're going to do November. Because I didn't know, know it was on Shutter, but Cold November rain. <laughs> no, it looks, man, it looks good. I'm excited about that. I'm glad that Donnie decided to uh, post that on your timeline, dude. Yeah, me and him were talking about it the other day, and yeah, fuck. It looks good. Yeah, like when I saw the title, it looked familiar. Then I looked it up on the database. I was like, hold on, I've seen this before. Not the movie itself, but I've seen the poster before. And then it was on Shutter. It's like, yes. I'm... I'm fucking down. I like to clown. It <laughs> looks super creepy no, and folklore I don't and... know if I've ever seen an Estonian film on top of it. I know so I've never seen an Estonian film. So this is going to be like last year when we were like, Turkish movie. I know, right? I, okay. Cool. Well, it turns out we loved Turkish movie. So let's God. see if Estonia can keep up this weird movie fucking out of nowhere we'll shit. We'll see, dude. It looks good. It looks promising. We'll see. So in order to keep up with us doing that next week, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us. If you want to listen to us on something else, we are on like Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all your major podcast providers. Check us out there. You can head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's links to listen to us up at the top. The latest episode is always streaming down at the bottom with links to all of our portals in between, the Insta, the Twitter, the Facebook, as well as our entire back catalog. And you can always contact us through our website or at squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Absolutely. If you have recommendations, if there's ways we can improve, if you just want to say hello. I mean, obviously, if you hit us up with wanting us to watch a movie, it'll happen because we just did flowers. You're right. It's not like, oh, we feel like we have to. It's just we enjoy that like so far it's been pretty damn solid like the recommendations we've had your guys recommendations knocked it out of the park the only one that i would say it didn't knock it out of the park is halloween three <laughs> you know i I think it's growing on me a little bit it's i still like the hey, film it's not great but it's a good standalone i like it as a doctor who episode <laughs> Yeah, it's not bad. It's not I think great, Halloween but... 3 makes for an amazing Doctor Who episode. That would be pretty funny. I'd like to see Tom Baker in that role. Yeah. No, I'm just giving you shit, Marquand. You know, somebody's <laughs> got to give you shit. 
Yeah, it's fun. I do enjoy the recommendations. And, you know, this genre, man, there's so many films we're going to forget, we're going to overlook. Let us know if we do. Yeah, absolutely. Shit, that's all I can think of to say for now. I'm Tyler. I've been flower number seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> now we're going weird places. That was weird, right? <laughs> no, I've been Danny. Wait, do you think... Oh, my God. Do you think we could convince Patrick to do oh my just a flower reminder? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that'd be funny. <laughs> Flowers too, Jafar. <laughs> I mean, you never Hit know. Hit up Phil, do a crossover. We could. We're weird enough. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This has been Fried Squirms, and we are... <laughs>